Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, September 28th, 2022 and the end of week 31 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,133 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 217 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess the so-called Putin line east of the Oskil River is in collapse. Second, we maintain Russia's mobilization efforts are on the brink of catastrophe due to corruption, a lack of preparation, violation of the social contract with the Russian people, and conscripts being sent en masse to Ukraine without vital equipment or training. Third, We assess that dissatisfaction with mobilization will increase as news of the events in Donetsk, Luhansk, and Kharkiv filter into the public sphere. Fourth, we assess the explosions on the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines have a significant probability of being Russian false flag operations due to a statement made by Gazprom. Fifth, our assessment that the broader mobilization and breaking of the social contract with the Russian people could increase the risk of political upheaval remains accurate, with civil unrest continuing. Sixth, we maintain we are in the mutually assured destruction-instability paradox due to irresponsible language from the Kremlin and no effort to clarify statements made by Dmitry Medvedev, deputy chairman of the Russian Security Council. Seventh, Our assessment that the results of the sham referendums would not change the tactics or strategy of Ukraine or its Western supporters was accurate. Eighth, we maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and battlefield conditions, Russian troops will seek to surrender. And finally, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed, and has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing and accelerating collapse. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Ukraine continues to maintain tight operational security, with limited information released. There was also limited information from Russian sources, and it was of low quality. North of Maksimivka, a Ukrainian kamikaze drone recorded its last seconds as it slammed into Russian positions near the Inulets River. The only reported fighting was in Bezimen in Kherson. Operational Command South, or OCS, 
reported that a platoon of Russian tanks, which typically would be four main battle tanks, attempted to advance from the area of Chakolov. One tank hit a mine, two tanks said not today, and it was unclear if there was a fourth tank or if this was an understaffed unit. Pro-Russian accounts claimed that Ukrainian positions in the Inulets River bridgehead were carpet-bombed by the Russian Air Force, resulting in 500 killed in action and Ukraine abandoning all but two settlements. There was no source for the information, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, made no such claim in its daily report. Ultimately, the reports of fighting for the control of Bezimen dropped a bomb on the claim. Some assessment here. There is nothing to support the claim. Russian aviation is barely capable of small bombing attacks, let alone repeatedly penetrating Ukrainian airspace to carpet bomb a 192-square-kilometer area. This isn't World War II. And on top of that, if a mission of this scale were carried out, where are the videos? Picks or it didn't happen. Two Su-24s of the Ukrainian Air Force provided close air support for the 61st Infantry Brigade, striking at Russian tanks and troop positions in the forested area west of Davidi Brid. The video shows a parachute-retarded bomb striking the target area with pinpoint precision. And that's not hype. Watch the video which shows the results of the bombing. See, they have a video. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. OCS reported the Ukrainian Air Force completed five airstrikes and ground forces launched 250 fire missions. Suppress and destroy enemy air defense activity continued, and a Russian ammunition depot in Berislav was destroyed. Ukraine continues to maintain fire control over the Dnipro River. Ukrainian sources claim that Russia is attempting to build another barge bridge parallel to the Antonovsky Bridge in Kherson. <sighs> we wrote an analysis on August 27th on why building a barge bridge across the Dnipro is an engineering impossibility. You can find it on Twitter. Ukrainian presidential adviser Alexei Arostovich and Mark Fagan reported that Russia needs to send 4,000 tons of supplies a day across the Dnipro River to support the Russian forces in Kherson Oblast, through ferries, helicopters, and small groups over the barely usable Kohovka Dam Bridge, Russia can only get 12 to 1,300 tons of supplies across the river, with the logistics issues worsening over the last two to three weeks. The pair maintain that the strategy in Kherson is to exhaust Russian troops until their defensive lines collapse. The Gauleiters of Russian-occupied Kherson were the first to declare that the sham referendum for Russian annexation was free, fair, and successful. They announced their intention to leave Ukraine and to annex occupied parts of Mykolaiv Oblast. A Russian Su-35 multi-role fighter fired a KH-31 air-to-surface cruise missile toward the city of Mykolaiv. The missile was intercepted by Ukrainian air defense and the debris landed in an unpopulated area. There was a reliable report that the Su-35 aircraft may have launched its last KH-31 cruise missile, being shot down in the coastal region of the Mykolaiv Oblast. At the time of recording, there were reports of explosions in the Mykolaiv area, but we can't clarify if this was air defense activity or an attack on the city. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ochakiv, near the Kinburn Spit, was attacked again. 
Our overall assessment in Kherson and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 11th. We recapped it on Monday's episode around minute three or four. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant was shelled on September 27th and rocked by an explosion on the 28th. Interestingly, the Russian MOD made no claims of the plant being attacked today. The IAEA reported that the first incident happened around 1700 local time near the electrical switchyard with no damage. The second incident happened at 0800 local time near the channel that carries cooling water to the plant. There wasn't any direct damage, but the windows were broken in Turbine Hall 2 from the concussion. The cause of the blast is under investigation. The press release from the IAEA addressed previous reports by the Russian MOD of shelling at the plant, stating this week's shelling comes, quote, after a few days without any such incident, end quote. There has been no progress in creating a demilitarized zone around the power plant, with the Russian Federation stonewalling negotiations. A Russian Su-35 multi-role fighter launched a KH-59 air-to-surface cruise missile in the direction of Kriviri from the airspace near Melitopol. The missile was intercepted by air defenses and destroyed. Valentin Reznichenko, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor, reported that Nikopol was hit by artillery and grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. More than 10 high-rise apartment buildings were hit, as well as a lyceum, a bus stop, natural gas infrastructure, and power lines. Over 8,000 households were without power, the largest outage caused by a Russian attack to date. Quick sidebar here, a lyceum is a specialty school or academy that's common in Ukraine and usually focuses on the arts, music, or sports. Zaporizhia was hit by three S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack, targeting the city center. There are casualties, but specifics weren't available at the time of recording. Now to the Donbass region, starting in southwestern Donetsk. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR militia, did not make any claims about ground fighting or successes on the battlefield, nor did they report on the number of Ukrainian fire missions. The GSAFU and Russian sources reported minimal fighting. DNR forces probed Ukrainian defenses for weaknesses near Zalizne, the first time an attack in this direction has happened since March. Elements of the DNR militia fought positional battles east of Kamyanka, but didn't gain any new territory. There was positional fighting in Pervomaiske, with no change in the situation. The 1st Army Corps of the DNR attempted to improve their positions near Pobida without success. They also attempted to advance on Novomikhailivka. In the Bakhmut area, it's Groundhog Day. Again. Operation Make Yevgeny Prigozhin Richer continues. A quick sidebar here. Groundhog Day is a 1993 film in which the main character is stuck living the same day over and over and over and over again. There was only light fighting east of Solidar and south of Bakhmutska. Private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, fought furiously on the southern edges of Bakhmut, 
in some of the heaviest fighting in the last two weeks. There weren't any verifiable territorial gains, with pro-Russian source Rybar repeating the same claims made for over a month. There was only positional fighting near Zaitseve, the one southeast of Bakhmut. PMC Wagner only fought skirmishes near Kurdyumivka, Odradivka, and Mykolaivka Druha. The 1st Army Corps of the DNR 3rd Brigade continued attempts to advance on Mayorsk and renewed attacks on Zaitseve. Now, this would be the Zaitseve south of Bakhmut. There was no change in the situation. Let's move on to northeast Donetsk and Luhansk. The situation for Russian forces in northeastern Donetsk and southeastern Kharkiv has reached a breaking point where the continued defense of Lehman is pointless. Russian defensive lines northeast of Lehman and east of the Oskil Reservoir have collapsed. Ukrainian forces have started capturing Russian self-propelled howitzers, or SPGs, and overrunning technical equipment and undefended troop transports. This indicates that in some places, Ukrainian forces have pushed through Russian defensive lines. There was a tidal wave of videos and photos authenticating the liberation of towns northwest, north, and northeast of Lehman. The number of unconfirmed liberated settlements has grown as we've prepared the report, which will almost certainly be outdated by the time this episode is published. In recently liberated Rupzi, Russian troops abandoned an intact 1L271 portable mortar-locating radar system. The radar is used for counter-battery to locate enemy mortar locations when they fire so they can be targeted. Cases of ammunition were also left behind. A video showed drone-directed artillery striking a Russian truck full of light infant troops in Piskiradkivsky during its liberation earlier in the week. The driver was likely killed in the strike, with a video showing the escaping soldiers were very poorly trained. After the truck stopped, they ran in the direction of what the military calls the kill zone, crossing through the same area where the artillery or mortar shell that destroyed the truck landed. Ukrainian forces were moving freely through Koroviyar in the direction of Rytkudob, which is confirmed as liberated with videos showing Ukrainian forces entering the village. Another video showed soldiers burning the Russian flag that was previously flying over Rytkudob. Yet another video showed that Russian troops still occupied Shandroholov, with at least a platoon in the town. The video was recorded after the leadership of the Russian Bars 13 unit trapped in Drovasheve claimed they were surrounded, including from the north. To the east, video confirmed Ukrainian troops control Zelena Dolina, sealing off the Drobosheve Zarich ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, to Drobosheve. A significant group of light infantry, supported by infantry fighting vehicles and tanks, moved through the village. The Bars 13 unit also reported that Ukrainian forces occupied Novoselivka. Russian troops withdrew from Kolodyazy, giving Ukraine a toehold on the west bank of the Zherebets River. Pro-Russian source War Gonzo, which has been surprisingly accurate in their coverage of the offensive to capture Lehman, wrote that Ukrainian forces were preparing to mount an offensive from Kolodyazy to advance on Zarich-Torsk. We can't confirm the veracity of the report, but it has significant weight. All of this to say, Russian forces in Drobosheve and Lehman have stayed too long. Ukrainian forces reportedly continued to probe north through the forests west of Yampil on the southern edge of Torsky. 
The bars units in Droboševe and the DNR militia in Lehman may not be able to retreat, even if their commanders wanted to. Ukrainian intelligence service, the SBU, reported that Russia is employing retreat-blocking detachments. Russia has been using Chechen forces and internal, quote, political officers units in the second echelon behind the defensive line. They are ordered to shoot any Russian troops that are retreating. Now, the use of blocking formations in Ukraine is not new, with the practice used since the start of the invasion. But everything is going to plan. We just want to be extra sure. Okay, let's move to assessment. Our assessment yesterday that Ukraine would move south and liberate Zelena Dolina was accurate. We had not anticipated that Russian forces would willingly withdraw from Kolodyazy, which threw the Russian forces in Lehman under the bus. Surrounding Lehman and Droboshevi will be another crushing defeat for the Russian Federation and provide Ukrainian forces with a springboard to liberate Kremina, Rubizhne, Lysychansk, and Severodonetsk. A victory here would be another morale boost in the hours after the annexation vote and under the shroud of nuclear threats. As it is now, the Lehman Zarechne is under Ukrainian fire control, which will make supply and retreat extremely dangerous. A video released by the GSAFU showed Ukrainian territorial guards ambushing a Russian bivouac in the forests of the Donetsk Oblast. The operation captured 15 Russian soldiers, including two majors. The Russian troops were poorly equipped and trained, using civilian sleeping bags with translucent plastic sheeting for makeshift tents. They hadn't prepared any defenses to protect their camp, with Ukrainian forces moving in during the early morning. Pushing east, Ukrainian forces have reached the administrative border of Luhansk, with Russian forces abandoning what is being called the Putin Line. Russian troops have allegedly withdrawn without a fight from Olkhivka, Druzhelyobivka, and Izumsky. Some quick assessment here. We recommend caution before considering the settlements as liberated. Russian troops have taken up a strategy of willingly withdrawing from a town, flattening it with artillery to maximize casualties, and then advancing back into the rubble. Units reportedly with PMC Wagner continued positional fighting around Spirna in the direction of the Verknokomyanko oil refinery and attempted to advance on Vimka. There was no change in the situation. Kadivka in Russian-occupied Luhansk was hit with 12 rockets fired by HIMARS, targeting a Russian warehouse and troop concentration. Both the attack and resulting fire were caught on video. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, Ukraine now controls 94% of the Kharkiv Oblast liberating almost 9,000 square kilometers and 454 villages, towns, and cities since September 5th. Russian sources reported that Ukrainian forces had advanced deeper into Tavilshanka, expanding the northernmost bridgehead over the Oskil River on the Putin line. Pro-Ukrainian sources report that small groups of troops have connected with the Kupyansk bridgehead to the south. We are not, however, prepared to update the map to reflect those reports. 
On the Kupiansk bridgehead, the advance to the south is accelerating, with Kiev Sharivka liberated. Russian forces once again demonstrated their priorities in recently liberated Kupiansk. Instead of targeting Ukrainian forces, missiles were launched into the city, striking a business complex adjacent to an Orthodox church and grocery store. The strike caused a large fire that burned just meters from the ornate yellow and white shrine. Four Russian missiles struck the city of Kharkiv, crashing into the Holodnohirsky district and knocking out electrical power to parts of the city. No one was killed in the attack, and engineers are evaluating how to restore power. Ukrainian troops advancing north from Donetsk are three to five kilometers away from severing the first GLOC to Borova and will likely have both roads under fire control within the next 24 to 48 hours. The borova Pershotravneve road is an essential defensive line for Svatov. On a line from Izumsky to Pershotravneve, Ukraine could establish fire control over Svatov. The Ukrainian 93rd Brigade, which we internally call the Gods of War, shot down at least one Russian Su-25 ground attack aircraft using manpads. The video is worth your time, showing the experience of firing a 9K-38 IGLA anti-aircraft weapon from the first-person perspective, tone lock and all. If you're not totally sure what a tone lock is, watch the video. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Hromoda of Serdina Buda was hit by 9 to 12 artillery shells. To the south, in the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, satellite images showed the impact of a Russian kamikaze drone strike on an ammunition depot north of Zatoka. Zatoka has been attacked at least a dozen times since March, with numerous missiles striking homes, apartment buildings, and seaside resorts, while missing the military base to the north. The attack using Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 drones destroyed two warehouses. Two Su-35 multi-role aircraft fired one KH-59 air-to-surface missile each from the Crimean Peninsula in the direction of Odessa. Both cruise missiles were intercepted over the Black Sea. Ukrainian Security Services, or SBU, arrested a Russian FSB agent in Odessa who lived in Reni. He is accused of collecting information about the locations of the bases of the defense units of the armed forces, law enforcement, and law enforcement structures, and providing the GPS coordinates to checkpoints and civilian infrastructure. On the Russian front, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced that the Kremlin would be investing in the, quote, development of agricultural and improvement of life in rural areas, end quote, in a program that could be straight out of the Stalinist Soviet Union. The program was announced likely to deflect unrest over mobilization, with agricultural workers not exempt from conscription and the male population in many rural villages being forced into military service. Russian sources reported that Ukraine shelled the settlement of Zibarovka in the Bilgorod Oblast. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. GSAFU reported that Russia significantly increased the number of drones operating, with up to 50 UAVs and combat drones operating across Ukraine on September 27th. A majority were Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones. 
The United States and allied intelligence services are increasing the amount of intelligence gathering and monitoring of Russian nuclear forces. The increased surveillance is due to continued threats from the Kremlin, with the United States recently operating all three Cobra Ball R-135 aircraft specifically designed to monitor Russian nuclear weapons activity. There is no need to dig a backyard bunker. Alexei Danilov, secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, said that if Russia used nuclear weapons, it would not stop Ukraine from defending its territory. Danilov said that plans were being finalized for the protection and mobilization of civilians in the event of a nuclear strike. The information will be shared publicly in, quote, the coming days. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken clarified that the United States does not object to using Western weapons in the regions that voted for annexation. On Twitter, President Zelensky congratulated Georgia Maloney on her election as the next Prime Minister of Italy. Maloney has been a member of the Italian government since 2006 and is the leader of the Brothers of Italy, a right-wing populist party with neo-fascist leanings. Maloney responded, quote, You know that you can count on our loyal support for the cause of freedom of the Ukrainian people. End quote. Her reply went over with her supporters about as well as trying to convince the Italian public that the American restaurant chain Olive Garden is an authentic Italian dining experience. There's a note here from David. He says, quote, I know authentic Italian food, but that isn't what Olive Garden is about. The Supa Toscana is fire. There, I wrote it, judge me all you want, end quote. I am not of Italian descent, so I'm going to stay out of this one. On the Russian social media platform VK, which is like a Facebook clone or MySpace or Friendster, depends on how old you are, it was reported that the 559th Bomber Aviation Regiment, which operates Su-34 multi-role fighter aircraft, has suffered 25% casualties since February 24th. The 559th has three squadrons of Su-34s, typically 12 aircraft each. If the report is accurate, the regiment has lost nine airframes, rendering two squadrons combat destroyed. After the apparent sabotage of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines in the Baltic Sea, NATO member Norway increased its level of military security readiness at all oil and gas installations, including offshore platforms. The measure was taken out of concern that their energy infrastructure could be attacked by the same operatives that blew up the Nord Stream pipelines. A video showed another Russian missile malfunction, with a Pansir Shorad anti-aircraft system launching several rockets, the final one traveling at almost ground level, exploding just behind a group recording the missile launch. It is all definitely going according to plan. Speaking of massive malfunctions, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Because Russian mobilization continues to go poorly, creating civil unrest and growing resentment and anger at the Kremlin. I do have some good news, though. We disagree with our favorite FSB colonel, wanted war criminal, and Kremlin pariah Igor Gherkin Strelkov. In his latest Telegram screed, Strelkov went full boomer with a back-in-my-day rant. In 2004, he wrote that the DNR didn't have body armor, helmets, first aid kits, uniforms, they lacked weapons, and barely any ammunition. So suck it up, buttercup. Be honored to serve in the glorious war against the, quote, 
Euco-Nazis, that's a slur against Ukrainians, just like we did back in the day. Yes, the Russian MOD should provide all of this to you, and you should demand it, but if it isn't given to you, just find a gun and make it happen. Because darn it, we're the second biggest military on the planet. Because Strelkov does not like your attitude. These kids today expect to fight a war with military equipment, and they want it handed to them. Ask with dignity, jerks. Don't whine. All right, um, quick sidebar here. Just to be clear, most of that was not a direct quotation. Just the slur. The slur was the direct quotation. In Nalchik, Kabardino-Balkarian Republic of Russia, a woman got into a screaming match with the commissariat telling them not to take their children away. She was accused of being a PR person, that in this context means a paid protester, with her responding, quote, the only PR person here is you, end quote. In Crimea, men of all ages have been conscripted to fight in the war in Ukraine, with families making tearful goodbyes. The Russian Orthodox Church blessed the formation of mostly middle-aged men holding older but rust-free AKMs. During his most recent sermon, FSB agent and head of the Russian Orthodox Church, Patriarch Kirill, reaffirmed his support of mobilizing the Russian people to war as a spiritual duty that will bring reconciliation to Russia and Ukraine. He called for no compromise, which he deems as dangerous. A short video showed Russian conscripts in makeshift barracks in a stadium or meeting space resembling an overcrowded refugee center for people fleeing a natural disaster. If the Russian Ministry of Defense plans to billet troops this way in Ukraine, it will be a disaster, given how terrible conscript operational security is and no one enforcing the so-called Bellingcat rules that were passed in 2019, which forbid Russian soldiers from sharing information online while on duty. After Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu visited a Moscow recruiting office to find it had no computers and almost no furniture, he continued his public tour of mobilization facilities. Russian state media filmed his tour of a training facility, and at the 13-second mark, a weapons instructor crosses in front of the firing line, stands directly in front of the barrel of a rifle pointed downrange, and corrects a conscript on their technique. And yes, you can click the link in our full situation report on Patreon to see that video. In another video, an officer addressed his new wards and clearly wasn't having any of it. In his speech that was brutal in its honesty, he confessed that he was just mobilized himself and had no idea about their training programs, orders, what equipment they would get, or what their deployment would be. He wasn't even sure if he would deploy as their commander due to his own health issues. PMC Wagner Telegram channel Greyzone condemned the mobilization of conscripts and the practice of sending them to the front without training, writing, quote, To send people to war untrained is to betray them. The military doesn't teach them anything, absolutely nothing, no classes are held. The situation is the same as in many other training centers. End quote. Aslan Atalikov, acting head of the Migration Service Committee of the Ministry of Internal Affairs of Kazakhstan, reported almost 30,000 more Russians arrived in its nation during the last week compared to those who departed, with many seeking asylum from Russian military mobilization. The president of Kazakhstan, Kasim Jamart Takayev, said that, quote, Lately, a lot of people from Russia have come to us, end quote. 
and he plans to hold negotiations with the Russian Duma to find a solution to the immigration problem on his border. The irony is so ironic. Five Russians were removed from a train bound to Belarus and St. Petersburg, Russia, because they were ineligible to leave due to the mobilization decree. Three of the men were former military officers in the Reserve Corps. One attempted to travel to Minsk and held a one-way plane ticket to Istanbul, Turkey. But clearly, everything is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. France has sent a team of war crimes experts to assist with investigations and ongoing exhumations in Izum. The French diplomatic corps wrote on Twitter, quote, Experts from the National Gendarmerie Criminal Research Institute, IRCGN, have just arrived in Ukraine. France stands with Ukraine in the fight against impunity. End quote. French Foreign Minister Catherine Colonel made an unannounced visit to Kyiv on the same day the war crimes experts arrived. The team will be busy with over 500 war crimes officially recorded in the liberated regions of Free Kharkiv. Four Russian prisoners of war were sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison for treason in a Ukrainian court. One was a sniper from the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, and was captured in Rubizhne in Luhansk. He received the stiffest penalty of 15 years. Two others were captured in Severodonetsk and faced charges of treason and looting. They received 10-year sentences. The final man had an extensive criminal history and was captured in Severodonetsk in a separate incident. He was sentenced to 10 years for treason. A school being used as a bomb shelter in Mykolaivka, Donetsk, was hit by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile. The school was severely damaged and a wall collapsed, trapping 12 people, including two children. Rescuers recovered them and, amazingly, other than being shaken up, they were uninjured. The school is a total loss. Relatives of conscripted soldiers in the DNR wrote a letter to Denis Pushlin demanding that Chechen troops be investigated for raping DNR soldiers. You heard that right. There have been complaints for months about Chechen forces committing atrocities in the occupied territories and outraging everyone from proxy forces to mercenaries to the Kremlin. DNR soldiers have accused Chechens of looting, torture, rape and murder of pro-Russian civilians, with the first accusations made public in May after the occupation of Popazna. On the subject of looting, Ukrainian forces made a startling discovery in the recently liberated regions of Kharkiv or Donetsk. Stacked among ammunition were some crates that had been cut apart and then put back together using metal straps to appear as one giant box. Inside the fake container were two looted washing machines. On September 20th, he was a civilian living in Russia. On September 21st, he was conscripted. On September 27th, he was a Ukrainian prisoner of war. The man's name has been edited out in a concerning video recorded in the Kupyansk area. The middle-aged man, who is very overweight, appears to be reading from a prepared statement written for him. Sharing pictures and videos of captured soldiers is a gray area in the modern era of social media, However, forcing a POW to read a prepared statement is considered maltreatment. 
We have made the editorial decision from time to time to share videos or photos to show the truth and advocate for the public interest. In other cases, we have out of concern for their safety and in the hopes that sharing their pictures verifies they are alive and in captivity. In this case, it is the latter, and sharing for the public interest, that a 45-year-old man from Moscow went from civilian to POW in a week. Remember, to send people to war untrained is to betray them. Five-time Olympic gold medalist in synchronized swimming and Olympic committee member Anastasia Davidova reportedly defected from the Russian Federation. Several employees of the Russian Sports Federation also defected, refusing to return from Kyrgyzstan after a football match, that's soccer for those of you from the United States, in the city of Bishkek. Five employees stayed behind due to the ongoing mobilization order. The Russian Federation granted citizenship to American spy and Washington, D.C. whistleblower Edward Snowden. On his Twitter account, he wrote, quote, After two years of waiting and nearly ten years of exile, a little stability will make a difference for my family. I pray for privacy for them and for us all. End quote. As a point of interest, since Snowden is an IT specialist, he is currently exempt from conscription into the Russian Armed Forces. In geopolitical news, the United States Embassy in Moscow issued an urgent message to all citizens remaining in the Russian Federation, stating, quote, U.S. citizens should not travel to Russia, and those residing or traveling in Russia should depart Russia immediately, while limited commercial travel options remain, end quote. Polls closed in Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson for the sham referendum to be annexed by Russia. It should be no surprise that the votes were overwhelmingly in favor, with an alleged historic turnout. Most of the world has already rejected the vote as a fraud. The measure allegedly passed with the lowest margin in Kherson, with 87.05% voting yes, and the highest margin in Donetsk, with 99.23% voting yes. Donetsk reportedly had the largest turnout, with 97.51% of eligible voters participating, although eligible voters were never clearly defined. Kherson had the lowest turnout, with 76.86% participating. Just in case it's unclear, all of these numbers are, objectively, a fantasy. In Kherson, officials wanted to transparently show how the votes are counted and reviewed, revealing in the Russian state media report that many ballots in the clear boxes were unmarked and counted as yes votes. In a demonstration of free and fair elections, the American citizen and online Vatnik Russell Bentley was filmed voting for the referendum. Yeah, I don't get it either. Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, claimed that according to the published Russian annexation vote results, the same number of people voted in the last week as in the 2012 elections. I would like to remind you that approximately 80% of the oblast's population fled by the end of April, with most heading west deeper into Ukraine. The United States called an emergency meeting of the United Nations Security Council to discuss the sham referendum. Russian Federation United Nations Representative Vasily Nebenzia told the council, quote, Today, Donbass, Kherson, and Zaporizhia regions turned their back on Kyiv. The process will go further if the Kyiv authorities do not realize their mistakes, 
end quote. It appears Russia didn't have many friends in the room, with even China taking a surprisingly strong position. The Chinese delegate told Nebenzia and the Council that Ukraine's, quote, territorial integrity should be respected. The meeting was political theater, though, because Russia holds a permanent seat on the Security Council and has veto power on any decision made. Speaker of the Federation Council of Russia, Valentina Madvienko, said that the senators would consider the entry of the occupied territories into the Russian Federation on October 4th. President Zelensky struck a defiant tone, saying, quote, I want everyone to understand this. Russia's recognition of these sham referendums as allegedly normal, the implementation of the so-called Crimean scenario, and another attempt to annex the territory of Ukraine will mean that there is nothing to talk about with this president of Russia. End quote. Russian state media ran former United States President Donald Trump over with a metaphorical bus, backed up, ran him over again, put it in forward, ran him over a third time, then put it in reverse and parked the bus on top of him so they could get out and examine what that bump in the road was. See, on Russia 1, Russian state media claimed that Trump had given the Russian government copies of the confidential, classified, and top-secret documents he held in Mar-a-Lago, and that their intelligence agencies have been reviewing the content. Look, whether it's true or not is a moot point. It's a bad look for the United States. And the dialogue was aimed at an American audience to try and further advance partisan unrest, which is at a boiling point already. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky fired Artem Rybchenko, the Ukrainian ambassador to Switzerland, and Maxim Kononenko, the ambassador to the Netherlands. No reason was given for either dismissal, with Kononenko in the role for less than a year. In economic news, despite Shahed-136 drone strikes and missile launches from the Black Sea, nine bulk carriers left Ukrainian ports yesterday, carrying 345,000 tons of grains, feed, and sunflower oil to Africa, Asia, and Europe. Since the reopening of Ukrainian ports on August 1st, 231 ships carrying 5.29 million tons have departed to ports around the world. The Russian Federation said back in July that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline wasn't the future and the power of Siberia 2 natural gas pipeline would be its replacement. Construction won't start until 2024 and is expected to be completed in 2030. The pipeline will have the same capacity as the defunct Nord Stream 2 line. It is widely accepted that the Nord Stream 1 and 2 lines were destroyed by explosions although official blame has not been levied on any nation or organization. It is implausible that Ukraine had any involvement as they lack the military capability or access to the Baltic Sea. PMC Wagner floated the idea that the United States did it using helicopters or maybe drone submarines, or both. There are private concerns that the explosions are a false flag that serves the dual purpose of complicating navigation in the Baltic Sea while providing an excuse to potentially expand the war in Ukraine by arguing that Russian sovereignty is threatened. For now, the only thing on the table is theories and conjecture. But no one appears to believe this was some sort of accident or natural phenomenon. There is an update here, though. One of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline explosions was picked up by a United States Navy P-8A submarine hunter aircraft, 
according to a reliable online source using available open-source intelligence. Gazprom announced that the explosions are a futile attempt to sabotage European energy markets for winter. Gazprom announced that they would be cutting off natural gas supplies through the pipeline that traverses Ukraine and has no intention of repairing Nord Stream 1 or 2. It was unclear if the announcement applied to all of Ukraine regardless of annexation status. The ruble ticked upward, with the exchange rate at 58 for one U.S. dollar. Crude oil prices increased slightly, with WTI trading at $79 a barrel and Brent at $87 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market increased to $2.50 a gallon, or 66 cents a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed, closing at $8.82 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.